chapter 2, Imitate Me As I Imitate Christ. I want to start this chapter by looking at what I consider to be the most powerful and boldest of Paul's statements of faith. Imitators of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. When we read this, what do we think? Because we have hindsight, we can tend to read this and go, well, yes, of course. But what if we were there when Paul actually said it? How would we respond today if someone came up to us in the body of Christ and said, hey, be an imitator of me, just as I also imitate Christ. Look to me as an example of someone you would want to model your life on. Would we laugh and say, whatever? Would we get angry and say, what arrogance? Would we get extremely offended and say, who does this person think they are? Would we want to put this person in their place and tell them to pull their head in? Or would we receive and accept this and say, yes, Lord, because of our ability to hear and receive the truth that is being spoken? If there is one thing I do know, It is that our Heavenly Father has allowed the statement of Paul's to be in his book of life, which teaches me the Father is more than comfortable with Paul making the statement about himself. Paul lived his life from truth. He wrote from the work being done, rather than what still needed to be done. Paul lived his life from the finished work of the cross. It was a full place in reality that Paul wrote and was living his life from. And it is this reality in place that we are to live our lives from as well. Psalm 19 verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I love this entire verse, but it is the second part of it I would call our attention to. The testimony, the true work of what Jesus has done and is doing in us and through us, makes wise the simple. The true work of God takes the incredible wisdom of God and makes it simple to live out. We cannot imitate the man's life until we receive what he received, the way he received it. We can try and copy it, but we will fail miserably. As I mentioned in the introduction, I personally believe that Paul is the greatest model and example for us to look to because he has a clear reference for who he once was and who he had become in Christ. He knows how lost he once was as Saul and how God's love was covering him, while at the same time coming to realize how God's grace was propelling him forward into the son he was called and chosen to be. Grace is God's empowerment to live out what truth calls us to. 1 Timothy 1, 12-16 I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might be the demonstration of his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life.
by allowing the words be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ and God's living word, God is signaling to us that this is a statement of truth. Paul is the only one who makes a statement about himself and God's word, and God allows the statement in his living word. So what is it about Paul that God would want us to imitate? It requires an incredible measure of being poor in spirit to make this proclamation of truth. The depth of humility of spirit that one must be in to make this statement and for God to allow it is nothing short of breathtaking. This statement comes from a position of knowing who you are in Christ and the mantle that has been bestowed upon you by God. Paul is teaching the Corinthians to imitate the life that he is living. Paul is saying if you want to see a physical demonstration of who we are to be and how we are to live as his followers, then look to my life. God's pattern. Philippians 3, 17-18 Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I am often told of you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. What is this pattern that Paul's referring to here? If we are going to follow his example and truly imitate him, then we need to walk in the pattern in which Paul and others walked. Remember Paul, who was Saul, had attempted to walk in a pattern before, and we see him saying in Philippians that all the things which came from that previous pattern he counted as loss and rubbish in comparison to the knowing of Jesus Christ. The pattern that Paul and others walked in was a twofold pattern. Firstly, it was in receiving within them the true knowledge of who God is and who they were in God through hearing. Secondly, it was in living this knowledge out by faith in Jesus Christ. No longer was he trusting in himself and his own ability, but living his life out by faith in Jesus. Galatians 1, 15-16 But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Galatians 2, verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We will look at this twofold pattern in the chapters predestined to receive the Son within, and from a life of self to a life in faith. Hebrews 3.1 teaches us that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Paul was called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Are we making the connection here of the apostolic life that we are being called to imitate? As we know, we are not all called to be apostles, but it is my deep-rooted belief that we are all called to be apostolic in heart, mind, and deed. Paul is calling us into this apostolic life, a life that Jesus and Paul lived out, and a life we are being invited to imitate. The apostolic calls us to a standard in Christ that we cannot achieve or reach through our own strength or ability. The apostolic standard. What is this apostolic life that we are being called to imitate? What are the attributes or the values of this apostolic life? 
what is the culture and priorities of this apostolic life? The first attribute of this apostolic life is a life of sacrifice. Number one, he was sacrificial. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus sacrificed his own life so that we could have life, and a life of abundant measure. This abundant measure is not only for now, but also for the future. The second attribute of this apostolic life is being selfless. He was selfless. Luke 22.42 says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Philippians 2.5-8 Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was selfless and was wholeheartedly committed to accomplishing his Father's will and not his own, even though this would cost him his very life. He only had one thing on his heart, and that was his Father's will. The third attribute of this apostolic life is being set apart. He was set apart, Hebrews 5, 9-10. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 11, 17. Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, but on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was set apart by his father. He wasn't of the order of the Levitical priesthood, but he was of the order of Melchizedek, a spiritual lineage without genealogy, having no beginning of days or end of life. Jesus' line is of the Spirit and according to the power of an indestructible life. The fourth attribute of this apostolic life is being a servant. He was a servant. Philippians 2, 5-9 have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Jesus has modeled for all of us true servanthood. He was the ultimate servant of his father and his father's will. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, even though he was God. He was the perfect example of the bond servants we are all called to be. The fifth attribute of this apostolic life is being sent. He was sent. John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. John 3, 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus was sent by the Father into the world to lead the world back into right relationship with his Father and to discover the promise for which we were all created. God's people are to be apostolic. Here is what is so profound. You and I, the church, have been called and chosen to be sacrificial, selfless, set apart, servants, and sent. We have been called to be apostolic in heart and mind and deed, to have the culture and value system of Christ within us. The culture which we are to live from is an apostolic one because it is Christ's and Paul's culture. This is the life we are to imitate. Colossians 1 verse 13, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. God has transferred us from the domain of darkness and into the domain of light, so we would live like the Son. God is looking for the church to walk in the manner in which Jesus walked. This is the goal. We are called and chosen to have the nature, character, and life of Christ operating within us. 1 John 2 verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Let's have a look at the scriptures that relate to us in relation to being sacrificial, selfless, set apart, servants, and sent. 1 John 3, 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Luke 9, 23-25 And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 1 Peter 2, 9-10 but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into the, his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10 Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but endurance, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and afflictions and hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and hunger and purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and the Holy Spirit and genuine love and the word of truth and the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, 
by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold, we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20 Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All the scriptures above relate to us as his people. We can see who we are called to be and what we are called to demonstrate and model. We are called to be sacrificial, selfless, set apart, servants, and a sent people. We are called to carry and live from an apostolic heart and mind culture and value system. 1 Corinthians 4, 8-17 You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless, and we toil, working with our hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. This is what it truly means to be an ambassador for Christ, to be Christ's representatives on the earth as a tall order and one that the church must take full responsibility for. Paul is inviting us all into this position, the position that he was now living from. One of the greatest mistakes we make is to think that Paul was someone special and that God treated him differently to us all. I'm not saying that Paul didn't have a specific task, function or role in the body, which is different from others. But what I'm saying is that what Paul received in relation to the spirit is to be no different to what we received. So many times I've heard people say that what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus was very specific for Paul alone, and that this doesn't really relate to us. This language separates us from this reality, and we end up convincing ourselves that what Paul received was specific for him and him alone, and by no means related to us. Have we found ourselves in fact saying this and thinking this way? It is this thinking that I want to challenge and hopefully convince us to have a completely different mindset on. What happened to Paul on the road to Damascus is critical. In fact, it is fundamentally essential for us 
and needs to be our reality as it was his, if we are to truly imitate him as he imitates Christ. The Great Humbling Let's have a look at what happened on the road to Damascus. The comparison between what actually happened and what we think, what has been taught or simply assumed, may just surprise some of us. Acts 9, 3-9 As he was travelling, it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who travelled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So let's look at the facts as to what has happened. As Saul is approaching the city of Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashes around him, which causes him to fall to the ground. Christ is speaking directly to Saul and asking him why he is persecuting him. Saul is unaware of who is speaking to him and asks, Who are you? To which Jesus replies, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The men traveling with Saul hear the voice but see no one. Although Saul's eyes are open, he can no longer see physically. He has been blinded by this encounter with Christ, and the men he is with now lead him by the hand into the city of Damascus. Saul is in Damascus three days without physical sight, food, or drink. What do we notice about what has happened so far in relation to Saul's encounter with Christ? He has been physically blinded by his encounter with Jesus. Nothing from a transformational perspective has taken place yet. Saul is still Saul. He still is thinking like Saul and acting like Saul, although while at the same time, Saul is starting to crack and break because of what has happened to him physically. Put yourself in Saul's shoes. You are the creme de la creme. You are a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. You are self-reliant and in control of your life and your own future. You are zealous for God and in your own mind think you are serving God. You have been educated under Gamaliel and you are well ahead of your fellow counterparts. You are persecuting the church and on a mission to see the church destroyed and in a moment in time, completely outside of your control, you are struck down and made blind. You find yourself being confronted by a voice that you and others can hear but can't see. And the voice is telling you that it belongs to the one you are persecuting. The voice then tells you to get up and enter the city and it will be told what you must do. But get up and enter the city and it will be told what you must do. I can't imagine anyone telling Saul what to do. And yet here we have this voice telling him what to do and he does it. He gets up and allows others to lead him into the city. Saul is having to rely on others to help him. He is no longer in control, and he is starting to realize just how fragile he is. The great Saul is starting to crack. The great Saul is starting to break. Has this become our reality as well? Has the temple of self fallen? Luke twenty eighteen. 
Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Biblical repentance. The spirit of pride is starting to fall apart into a thousand pieces. The strength of man is found out for what it really is, absolute foolishness. The great Saul, who was the Hebrew of Hebrews, who was educated under Gamaliel, is falling apart. Just like Rome fell, the great Saul is also falling and being brought to his knees by this act of God. Don't we all need to find this position before God? Don't we all need to be brought to a place of true repentance? The vessel of pride is about to be smashed into a trillion pieces so it can be replaced with a new vessel, a vessel of humility. Saul is being humbled and is being prepared to receive the Holy Spirit. This reality brings to light the words that King David wrote in Psalm 51 as he also had this breaking moment after committing adultery and murder. The words David uses are describing the new reality he has now discovered in God through godly repentance. He has come into a new way of being in God, now seeing and operating from God's first place position. Psalm 51, 16-17 For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What is the first place position? A broken spirit and a contrite heart. The church of Jesus Christ is to come to this position in her own life. Otherwise, she will never experience the fullness of life that Paul discovered in Christ. We are all to have the spirit of pride broken in our lives. We are all to live from a contrite heart. How can we imitate Paul if we don't go through the same process that Paul had to go through? People say what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus was just for Paul because we miss what actually happened to Paul. Have our minds created this false scenario, assuming one thing but not the right thing? Have we assumed it was at this point that Saul's life changed to Paul when in fact what is really happening is that the temple of Saul is disintegrating? God did what he did to get Saul's attention. God also allows or even does certain things to get our attention as well. God's intent for allowing or doing these things is never to hurt us, but to help us. God's intent is always love, even when we can't see it. He helps us get to where he intends us to go, because he knows we will never choose his way if we are left to our own devices. How many of us can relate to this? Saul is being humbled and is being prepared to receive the Holy Spirit, just like all the other people at this time who had also gone through this repentance process. A man by the name of Ananias comes and lays his hands upon Saul, just like Saul had seen in the vision. And not only does Saul receive his physical sight back, but he is also filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit opens up the realm of the Spirit. And it's from this posture that Paul now started to live his life. This is to be no different for us. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and to live our lives from being led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Paul had a specific task in connection with God's will that God would have him accomplish and he was graced by God for that task. 
But before he could start, he would need to fall upon the cornerstone and be broken into pieces. We are to be no different. If we haven't fallen and been broken into pieces before we start serving God and the roles he has for us, we will end up defining these assignments to our own personal detriment. Sure, we are fully committed, but are we fully surrendered? When we ask Christ into our lives for what he can do for us, rather than surrendering our lives to him, we simply incorporate Jesus into our lives. We add Jesus onto our very lives rather than Jesus becoming our life source. When we do this, we never come into the life God has for us. Paul was to make known the mystery that had been kept hidden until the appropriate time. Christ in the church, the hope of glory. He was empowered by God to make every follower complete in Christ. What an assignment. He could only live like this because this very work had happened and was happening in himself. Colossians 1, 25-29 Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul was also to go before the Gentiles, kings and the sons of Israel, and share with them the gospel of the kingdom. Acts 9 verse 15 But the Lord said to me, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. God filled him with the Holy Spirit and with power for these purposes. Acts 9.17 So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The argument that Paul was special, and therefore we can't ever be like him, is one we have created unknowingly, and it keeps us in a place of smallness. We are not all called to be apostles, and we're not all called to the tasks Paul was, but we are all called to imitate Paul through the power of being filled with the Holy Spirit like all the other followers who read about in Acts. Paul lived his life by faith in Jesus Christ, and from having Christ's life formed in him, and we are to be no different. This is the life we are to imitate. If we are going to imitate Paul, then we need to know and understand Paul's journey and process. We need to look at his life and teachings and learn from him. Ephesians teaches us that the manifold wisdom of God is to be demonstrated through the church. This will only be our reality if we come into the true knowledge of God within us. This is what enables us to imitate Jesus and Paul.